Hi, this is Kim Davis, and welcome to another of our one-on-one podcasts. My guest today is Rip Pruskin. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. And I'm going to say the name of your brand, and before I hit record, I was discussing with you whether we should attempt a European or an American pronunciation, but I think we're going to call it Rip Rip Van Waffles. Is that fair? Perfect, yes. Okay. And what did you call them in Dutch? In uh, Dutch, they're called Waffles. Waffles, okay. So, uh, just to establish the context, uh, Rip's company sells a product which he'll describe better than me, but a snack waffle, is it that kind of thing? Yeah, perfect. So, tell us about the product. Yeah, so, you know, the product is essentially an indulgent snack without the guilt. So, um, you know, if you want to indulge on something in the afternoon or in the mid-morning, but you don't want to, you know, overdose in calories or sugar, this is a great alternative. So if you think about the health bars out there, you know, it has similar clean ingredients, similar sugar levels. But then on the other hand, it has the indulgence of a candy bar. So it's, it's, it's a good compromise. Okay. Well, hoping to sample one after this. But um... I, I many, all the flavors for you. <laughs> oh, great. But what I really wanted to focus on was the story behind this, because it's an intriguing one. I, I did a little bit of research, and I saw it's been around maybe six years, and I saw in the early days a Kickstarter campaign. How did this all come together for you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the story really rewind to the very beginning, freshman year of college. Um, you know, I grew up in Amsterdam. My parents lived there. Um, and I brought these things called Stroopwafels over from Holland, and I shared them with my new college friends, and they just disappeared. <laughs> and um, it was not until my third year of college that I was thinking of actually starting a company and did a little research and realized that this product was just nowhere to be found. Right. You know, local grocery stores couldn't find this product, and I loved it growing up. And so I, I came to thinking, what if, what if I tried to start making them in the U.S.? Um, similar to kind of how Chobani... You know, thought of bringing Greek right, yogurt. The yogurt, over. of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, how did Kickstarter come into this? Was that just to, to get yourself some funding? Yeah. So I, you know, I'd given up a job offer at a financial restructuring firm. I'd graduated. Um, you know, I was on scholarship at Brown. So you know, I had a year of funding to pay for my rent and food, and then uh, I had to get a job. Um, at least my parents had said so. Huh, yeah. So um, so it was just about uh, figuring out how I could actually prove this concept further. So besides selling to, you know, uh, on the college green, I actually wanted to start selling the product in stores. So I found a local kitchen facility in Providence, and um, I f- started ma- essentially making the product um, in the evenings and then distributing distributing themselves during the day to um, the college store, the local bookstores, the cafes, and so forth. Um, And then what was really interesting is that uh, the product really started to move, but I needed some more funding to really uh, buy some heavy-duty equipment to produce more of the product. So, um, you know, created this video on Kickstarter and um, basically reach out to all my family and friends and um, and miraculously like all the funding actually came together and so with that we um, 
I, I was able to buy some of the equipment needed to kind of pre going from producing a couple of hundred right. a week to producing a couple of thousand per week. Um, and then kind of at that point it was like, okay, well, how do we scale further? And, and that's when um, I actually uh, met and uh, connected with my co-founder, Marco. He uh, just got back from Brazil. He did a, a study abroad. And uh, he also really wanted to start a company, and he saw the, uh, the success locally we've had with the product. He was very excited about it. He liked the taste and wanted to join hands. So we basically wrote a business plan together, and we run, won the Brown business plan competition. Right. And uh, with that, we actually you know, redid our packaging. We found a, a manufacturer to help us produce this larger scale. And then from there, you know, we were really off to the races. So um, we started after college to distribute to a bunch of colleges. And um, so we went college to college, door to door, you know, um, distributing by day, partying by night, um, and basically sampling the waffles. And so by the end of the year, we'd gone through, I guess, 30 schools right. that were carrying Rip Van Waffles. But the challenge was was that, you know, we needed capital to scale, and we by then raised a small round from family and friends, um, but we didn't have the team nor the funding to really um, build the merchandising and store um, to essentially maintain the sales mm -hmm. in those locations. So we thought, well, how can we scale our business without you know raising a ton of capital and diluting ourselves out of the company? And so what we did was we actually moved the business to the Bay Area um, after I crashed on my brother's couch, <laughs> who um, was in college at the time, yeah. in at Stanford. And so I literally visited 90 tech companies and uh, eventually met with a friend of mine who actually happened to work at Square. Mm -hmm. um, and they tried our product out. And so uh, Square started to buy you know, a couple of cases, then 10 cases, then more than that per week, and then we got into a distributor that supplies a lot of these tech companies, and so our business kind of got a second wind. Right. Um, what was interesting from a marketing standpoint is that this is a pretty new product. It's kind of the the new American cookie, right? Yeah. Or the new American better for you indulgence. That's what I was thinking, because you've got not only the challenge of distributing the product, but distributing knowledge of the product and understanding, because it wasn't common here. Yeah, and, and that was that was tough, um, very tough, uh, and so you really need to need to do marketing. Mm -hmm. And the, the form of marketing we could afford was essentially to uh, put the product in a place uh, where we would earn revenue from it, but it would also have a lot of exposure. I see. And so in these tech companies, um, they actually give s snacks for free to their employees. So it was an amazing trial mechanism, because this is a type of product that you, once you have, you want to have again. Okay. And so um, that was really the start of kind of the next phase of the business. So yeah. that, that's kind of uh, what the word is for it. It's kind of clever, I suppose, because you're really putting the product in front of people who are part of the whole sharing economy and who are used to talking about things on social. And I, I've looked at your social profile and certainly Instagram and Facebook, pretty impressive, like over 30,000 followers. So has that kind of social engagement, sharing 
pictures of the product, pictures of people enjoying it. Has that been important to success? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's something we really want to build out further. Um, I think the millennial consumer, which is very much at, at the core of the consumer that's having Rip Van Waffles, um, obviously is on social media. And um, I think engaging with them and understanding how they have the product and communicating with them about that is absolutely key, especially with that education. Um, and so we're trying to have some fun with that. We just um, brought on an art director, and we're trying to really boost that. Okay. And what about other of the traditional marketing channels? Have they been relevant to you? I'm, I mean, television stuff gets expensive, but what about um, email marketing, online marketing? Have they, have they played any role? Yeah, so email marketing has actually been very effective. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I guess just sending emails to our subscriber list, right, right. and just increasing that. Because um, we have a pretty engaged uh, set of subscribers. But honestly, outside of that, um, the focus has really been product-focused. So what we've been trying to understand is um, how can we position the product in a way that will really appeal to... Um, to people in this country. And so, you know, the packaging is a huge part of that, and the taste is a huge part of that. But not only that, it's also what pack size the product comes in, and where it's placed, and then what channels you go after. So, in a nutshell, we're like, okay, well, we have a very limited marketing budget, so we need to put the product in places where there are a lot of eyeballs, right? So you get a lot of impressions, you get trial, and that will then allow us to build the sales in order to reinvest in uh, the business, yep. the core team, and then we could really do ancillary marketing efforts. So ironically, marketing in our case has been uh, certain sales channels. And of course, um, you're not just selling direct to consumers, you're also appealing to wholesalers. And one of your success stories is Starbucks, isn't it? How did uh, that happen? So um, it's actually a funny story. I... Uh, I think I think it was in 2012, my co-founder Marco uh, read an article in the New York Times, and uh, the article was about Howard Schultz doing a book tour. Right. Um, he'd just written his second book, and um, we were like, "Great! Why don't we uh, follow him around and you know try and meet him and give him a pack of waffles?" <laughs> <laughs> Very naive at the right. time, but um, so I actually bought like a, a multi-route ticket from New York or from sorry from uh, Boston to uh, San Francisco to LA back to New, New York and so essentially I went to every single place where we went on his book tour um, or at least mm -hmm. major metros and I only managed to get in front of him in uh, San Francisco so this is during a book signing, I gave him a, a letter um, with an envelope, and uh, I gave him a bunch of samples. At the time, the product was, you know, not even fully developed through R&D. Right, wow. So, um, but, so nothing really came of that, but, uh, but it was a great memory. In, in our office, I'd love to have you over sometime. We actually have that envelope <laughs> um, as a memory. So fast forward uh, to late 2015, we actually met with uh, someone from their food team, 
and uh, through one of our contacts. And essentially, they were uh, starting to look at branded products mm -hmm. um, because they thought that these products would be a good fit with you know the the Starbucks brand, essentially yeah. to build the experience in store. And so um, you know we did a test with them. The test worked out well, and from just being in you know a hundred or two hundred odd stores in the Bay Area, all of a sudden we're in twelve thousand Starbucks in the U.S. and Canada, if you include licensed stores. And what that underlines to me is the importance, as you were saying earlier, not just of having a good product. We assume it's a good product, but in a way. Having a product which you can present through packaging, through um, stylistic statements, is something which fits into the lives of certain consumers. And that seems to me to be the way into a wonderful opportunity like Starbucks. Starbucks obviously has a lot of own brand stuff. So when they look at the waffles, they don't just think these taste good. They think this is something which fits with our brand, with our image, with what our customers are interested in. Well, absolutely. I mean, it's an incredible company. They, uh, you know, they really value innovation, and uh, th they value uh, really developing good partnerships. And um, you know, I think for them, it's about you know how do you create that Starbucks experience, and how do you improve upon that um, con continuously. And so. Um, you know, they're really looking at innovative products. Um, and so if you go to Starbucks, you'll see they have a, a number of different brands um, to basically see what their consumers really want in addition to, you know, the coffee that they're serving. And by providing, you know, a plethora of options, but a curated set of options, yeah. they're able to elevate that experience. So absolutely, I think, um, you know, we, we really try and focus on uh, improving the health of our products. Mm -hmm. So even though so this is an indulgence, if you compare it to a traditional waffle from Holland or a cookie in the U.S., the ingredients are very, very clean. Right. The sugar levels are relatively low. And so I think that health, health conscious customer is very much the Starbucks shopper. And so they're looking for kind of healthier treats to go with our products. Okay. Yeah. And... Uh, Obviously, you're, you're scaling very fast, but it's still early days. Looking further down the road, do you see more opportunities for engaging with customers? I'm thinking of things like mobile apps, customer loyalty, rewards, all those kinds of opportunities to, to make the waffles feel like part of somebody's life. Yeah, absolutely. So I think there are two things that we're really focusing on. One thing is uh, looking at the natural and grocery channels. So either engaged uh, customers or consumers through the loyalty programs of those companies. So that's one thing we're looking at, uh, partnering with. And then on the other side, there's a direct relationship with the consumer. So I think that's something very powerful for yeah. smaller um, CPG brands like ourselves is to really understand what the consumers want and how they're using our products so we can innovate accordingly. Um, a, a number of companies are doing this, but essentially, what flavors do they like? Yeah. Um, you know, what nutrition would they like to see in the product? And so, it's less of us dictating what the innovation is, um, but us more learning and listening right. to the feedback. And I think that's been really exciting because um, a lot of 
innovative stuff is like coming out um, through that feedback that we we're receiving. Um, so I think online, you know, uh, doing loyalty programs, whether it's through influencers on social or um, you know through brand partners and so forth, is going to be a core part of our D2C strategy. I think um, another interesting segment online is actually selling to businesses. Right. So, you know, you can sell to businesses via your site. And I think that's something um, that's also a really interesting opportunity to look at because then you can, you know, not only service uh, customers through distributors, but you can also build that direct relationship where, where it's necessary. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And at this stage, are you using any partners to help with your marketing, or is it all an in-house operation? Um, so it's pretty much in-house right now, <laughs> but um, I'm sure that'll change. We're a small a small team, but um, you know we're we're really focused on essentially building out our core team. So this year, really, the focus is around you know specific channel growth supported with B2C sales, yeah. so basically search marketing uh, through Amazon, through um, the website, Google to the website, right. obviously, um, and then once we're, we're, we scale a little in size, we can look at other avenues. Okay, so small team, early days, but yeah. fast growth. Uh, been great to hear your story, Rip. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. And if you 